Good morning and welcome. I'm Gary Bonebreak, interim pastor here at Fishkill Baptist. We are grateful for media tools that enable us to meet together, at least after a fashion, even if we must stay in our homes. This is the eighth Sunday we have had to stay in our homes. We are glad that this will come to an end, and we look forward to being able to meet together again. Here in our church, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that the Scriptures not only record what God said in the past, but what God is saying to us today. The Bible is God speaking here and now, His Word to us. That is why we're always opening the scriptures as we begin a sermon. Today, we are beginning a study in Mark's gospel, which most scholars believe, and I believe, to be the first of the four gospels written. This morning, please turn in your Bibles to the gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We will read the first paragraphs in a moment. You know, we study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to focus our attention on the one who is the center of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Note Mark 1.1, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is telling us in his first sentence who will be the focus of his attention. This book is about Jesus, the Messiah, God's own Son. We must allow the gospel writers who tell us the Jesus story to shape our picture of Jesus. Our view of Christ may, in fact, be encrusted with errors and our own projections. That is, we tend to make Jesus out to be who we want him to be. And there is more danger in this than we may realize. Many books have been written about Jesus that tell us more about the author who wrote the book than they tell us about Jesus. That is, authors tend to project themselves and their own agendas onto Jesus. And we, too, can make Jesus out to be someone we want him to be, someone who aligns with our political and social opinions and our agendas. Even Unwittingly, we try to tame him. Well, no. We want to believe in the Savior who is not one of our own making. And so we want to take a fresh look at the Gospel of Mark. We want the real Jesus, and we want to allow him to transform our lives and our church. And of course, it's his church. Let's begin by reading the first paragraphs of Mark. We're going to read from 1, 1 to 13. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John 
wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I or mightier than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the other gospel writers add, and fire. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Let's bow together in prayer just for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. We pray, Lord, that you would be our teacher We admit, Lord, our need. We easily want things to be our own way. And we acknowledge, Lord, that our hearts are deceptive. And sometimes we are very skilled at deceiving ourselves. So, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts and that you would be our teacher and help us to see the Lord Jesus, your son, as you present him to us in the Gospels. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of Mark's Gospel is, in verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, this is an amazing statement. Note the word beginning. Mark is intentionally alluding to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mark is writing about a new beginning, a new beginning that comes with Jesus. In Jesus, there is a new creation, a new people of God, a new start. God is beginning again. And a new beginning is something we all need. This book is good news, he says in verse 1. That's what gospel means, good news. This is good news about Jesus. He is the Son of God. Now, in a Jewish context, this title, the Son of God, is staggering in its implications. It means that Jesus is equal to God. This title, Son of God, is important for Mark. It is right in the title of his work, and it's also emphasized at crucial points in the gospel. We'll see it right at the end of the gospel. Mark wants to persuade you, his reader, that Jesus is indeed the very Son of God. So we begin reading his book or his gospel, knowing things about Jesus that that the participants in the story do not know. The people of Galilee don't know that Jesus is the Son of God. His disciples don't know. Mark begins the story by telling us up front who Jesus is. And Mark moves immediately to John the Baptist. 
The importance of John the Baptist's ministry is often missed. We can only appreciate his importance when we consider the broader historical context. In the centuries before John came, the prophets had preached from Elijah on Mount Carmel through Amos and Hosea and Isaiah and Micah down to Malachi, the prophets had confronted kings and taught the people. They had preached, calling people to repentance. They had thundered, thus says the Lord. Again and again, they preached. And then they stopped. After Malachi, the living voice of the prophets had been stilled. And the silence of God was deafening. There were no more prophets, no more prophetic word. We can see this in the Psalms. We read in Psalm 74, we are given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will be. No prophets are left, he writes. This is a psalm written after the Babylonian exile. There is a yearning here for the prophets. Where are the prophets? They are no more. And if we read the apocryphal books, that is, the books written after the Old Testament, the Jews of the Maccabean period express their longing for the return of the prophets. In those intervening years, that is, between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. What what happened among the Jews? What happened in this intertestamental period? Well, the living voice of prophecy was gradually replaced with scribal religion. The Jews found God's will by minute interpretations of the law. Religious parties developed. Scribes copied the law. Pharisees added strict traditions. Sadducees were priests influential in the the temple. You know, we see these groups, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, mentioned in the Gospels. And there were other religious parties, the Essenes, for example. The Essenes also had strict rules, They fasted and denied themselves. They were the sons of light, separating themselves from the sons of darkness. We find out about them in the Dead Sea Scrolls, found in caves along the Dead Sea in 1947. The Zealots were a fourth political party. They wanted to drive the Romans out. The Zealots were making their plans, hiding their swords, biding their time waiting for the opportunity to strike. These different strands of religion were hardening into legalistic forms, the prophet's words being replaced by legalism. This is, in fact, a great danger. People, Religious people tend to make rules to simplify things and then to judge other people by their rules. And this was going on in Judaism. All these groups the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, had one thing in common. They were waiting and looking for the coming Messiah. There was a great yearning for God to intervene to save Israel and to crush the Romans. 
The Roman overlords had no part in Jerusalem. Israel needed a new beginning with God. And then John came. John the Baptist. Notice that Mark introduces John with a quotation from the Old Testament. I will send my messenger ahead of you, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Mark is citing Isaiah, and he's actually combining words from both Malachi and Isaiah. By beginning with an Old Testament quotation, Mark emphasizes the continuity of the gospel with the Old Testament. Yes, the gospel is a new beginning, but the gospel is rooted in the promises of the Old Testament. The Old Testament had promised the coming of John and, the prom- and promised the coming of the Messiah. You know, I have a, a book in my library entitled uh, One Bible, Two Testaments. It's actually a doctoral dissertation about various scholars' views of the relationship between the Testaments. It's important to see that the New Testament has deep roots in the Old. We should never neglect the Old Testament. The New Testament is is incomplete without the Old. The, The church grows out of Israel. There's a great continuity, a great oneness in the purpose of God a oneness in the people of God. The church is the new Israel. There is a relationship between the the testaments of promise and fulfillment. The Old Testament presents the promise. The New Testament brings fulfillment. The fulfillment has come in Jesus. And the messenger who prepares the way for the Lord, predicted in the Old Testament, appears. It is John the baptizer. The age of fulfillment is dawning. John's ministry is in the desert, or wilderness, as it could be translated. The word means he was out in the wild, uninhabited regions. There were no houses or towns out there. Now, this may strike us as strange, Baptizing in the desert region, verse 4, sounds like an oxymoron. I mean, baptism means water, and desert means no water. So why is he baptizing in the desert? This is actually an important question. The desert is emphasized here. The desert is mentioned four times. John is in the desert. The people come out to the desert. Jesus comes out to the desert. Jesus is tempted in the desert. To go out to the desert wilderness was to leave the temple, leave Jerusalem and the official institutions of Judaism. It was to go out where Israel began, in the wilderness. Remember, immediately after the exodus from Egypt, Israel was tested and tried in the desert wilderness. You see, John is deliberately calling the people to the desert because God is calling Israel back to its beginning, now to a new beginning. And that's the point. God is creating Israel again. It is time to start over. Messiah is coming. There will be a new covenant, a new beginning. The new Israel, like the old, begins in the desert wilderness. John was dressed simply, in a robe of camel hair with a leather belt. This makes us think of Elijah. 
whose simple clothing was described exactly the same way, a garment made of hair with a leather belt. John preached and called the people to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This is a message for a new beginning. Repent means to turn away from sin and to turn to God. And repent, for the kingdom of God is appearing right now. You know, one of the ways I'm praying in these days of the COVID crisis is that people would turn to God, that they would see that they need God. They would turn to him in repentance and recognize that need. Now, you're probably praying the same way. John pointed to the one coming after him, the mighty one is coming after me, the mighty one. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When Messiah comes, God will bring, will bring blessing and judgment. The Spirit will be poured out and fire will fall. He is predicting an imminent crisis for all of humanity. This is very urgent. There is no time for delay. Pointing to the coming one was all that mattered to John, the only thing that was important. Uh, he says, I'm not worthy to kneel down and unlatch his sandals. John is a preacher drawing no attention to himself. You know, phones play an important part of our lives these days. Phones have changed a lot over the years since they were first introduced a hundred years ago. Years ago, there would be an operator involved in the call. And if there was a delay, the operator would come on and say, I, I'm trying to connect you. Those words, I'm trying to connect you, would be a good description of what John was about. That was all he was trying to do, to connect people to Jesus. That was what was important. Calling to Jews to be baptized was revolutionary. This is a revolution. John is a gigantic confrontation with Judaism. When Gentiles wanted to convert and to join Israel, Gentiles would be baptized. One of the rites of Gentile proselytes joining Israel was baptism, which symbolized cleansing from sinful defilement. Uh, they would be washed in the water. But John is calling Jews the Jewish people, to baptism and to repentance. John is saying that the Jewish people cannot rely on their religious heritage. They cannot rely on the law and circumcision. They too are sinful and in need of repentance to prepare for the coming one. As they confess their sin, they are plunged into the water. John's ministry is a massive confrontation with Judaism. And the people went out to him in droves. The whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Verse 5. Verse 5 describes a great response. You see, the news spread like wildfire. There's a prophet in the wilderness. The long silence of God has ended. God has sent us a prophet. Malachi had predicted that Elijah would be sent. Now a prophet, dressed like Elijah, is preaching in the desert. The nation was electrified. Thousands hurried to hear him. Some were curious. 
some skeptical. Some went out to repent and to be baptized. You know, step back and think for a moment about John. John the Baptist rebukes our spoiled existence, our insistence on our having our luxuries. The word of God came to John in the desert, is what Luke writes. John submitted to his calling. He lived in a limestone desert, shimmering in the haze of the heat. He lived in stark simplicity, eating locusts, calling Israel back to God. Who of us would choose such a life? Right now, we're enduring our own set of limitations. Our freedom is limited. We're staying at home. Some of our meal plans have become simpler, and we may lack things we're accustomed to. We're frustrated by our limitations, but we're not eating locusts and wild honey. John lived in remarkable simplicity. He had no house, no family. Yet, while John had nothing in terms of worldly goods, Jesus said later, there has never risen a prophet greater than John the Baptist. John had the approval of Jesus, and after all, what else matters? And so we are reminded, all, of all things in life, only obedience to God, only serving him matters. Jesus submitted himself to John's baptism. He came down from Nazareth to the region of the Jordan River where John was preaching, and he too was baptized. And we ask, why? He was not baptized because he needed to repent. Jesus was righteous and without sin. There are a couple of things we can say about his baptism. One, he was baptized to show oneness with John, that is, to show approval of John and his message. And secondly, Jesus was baptized to identify himself with the repentant remnant. I mean, those who are repenting are saying, I'm guilty, I'm deserving of judgment. And so Jesus is placing himself in that place of judgment, taking judgment on himself, identifying himself with the sin of the people. You know, today we should think about Jesus' baptism. If you're a follower of Christ, you too should follow him in baptism. Of course, our baptism is different. Uh, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Christian baptism is confessing our faith in Jesus. It is identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is important, and all who belong to the Lord should follow him in baptism. The Trinity is manifested at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends gently on, Je on Jesus like a dove, anointing him for the ministry. And the Father speaks from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Notice, for the second time in the prologue, Jesus is called the Son of God. This time, it is the Father in heaven who pronounces it. So the Trinity is manifested at his baptism, and in Christian baptism, we are immersed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
And then the Spirit led Jesus away from the river into isolation in the desert where he confronts the tempter. In the desert, still in the desert, notice, Jesus faces satanic temptation. Mark's account is brief. The details given in Matthew and Luke are absent here. Jesus' trial and temptation for 40 days in the wilderness reminds us of Israel's 40 years testing and trial in the desert. Jesus was tested by danger, hardship, and hunger, as well as the temptations of the evil one. Israel failed God in the desert. Jesus does not fail. Mark mentions wild animals, showing the desolation and danger of the place. Jesus was there with the bear, the wild boar, and the jackal. And angels attended him, verse 13. And they are with us, too, when we must face trial and temptation. Sometimes God leads his own into trial and testing. Certainly, this COVID crisis is a great trial. But when trial and temptation come, God is with us. His word is our guide, his spirit, our power, his presence, our comfort. This passage teaches us God sent his son, Jesus, to call people, to call mankind to a new beginning. Mark tells us from the very beginning that Jesus is the Son of God. As in his baptism, so in his death, Jesus identifies with our sinful need. He takes our need upon himself on Golgotha, our sin. Mark will take about a third of his gospel to present the death of Jesus in our place for our sin and guilt. Later, Jesus will say the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died for us to take away our guilt before God, and then he was raised again. The call to repentance is an urgent invitation to start again with God through Jesus, his Son, and we all need this. It is time to follow the Lord wherever he may lead. Do you hear God calling you? You may need to follow Jesus by becoming a Christian, by surrendering to him as Savior and Lord. You may need to follow him in the water of baptism. We at Fishkill Baptist need to follow him into the new future he is creating for us. We all must follow wherever he leads. He is the Son of God, Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we worship you and honor you. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. Lord, deliver us forever, from ever taking for granted the miracle of your grace and love, the power of your salvation, the power of the cross. O oh Lord, we pray that you would move in the hearts of us all to repentance, to faith, 
to trust in Jesus, to new resolve to follow him wherever he leads us. Lord, help us, we pray. We thank you for your love and your goodness and your grace to us. We praise you for your word, Lord. Help us to understand it. Help us to believe, we pray. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace through Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.